Well, good evening, class. Well, I'm glad that you are here, many of you in the sanctuary tonight, and some of you out there streaming. Thank you so much for joining me in Bible study tonight. Uh, if you're joining us after a little time off or you've just dropped in to us, we are going through uh, the high points and the mountaintops of the Bible throughout uh, the course of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, and tonight is the last night of study in the Old Testament. This is lesson number 19, so I'm glad you're with me, and we're going to start with a word of prayer. Dear Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you, Father, that you confirm to us over and over again how much you love us, and especially as we're going through these words of the Old Testament, Lord, and seeing the way that Israel seemed to fall away so easily and so often, we thank you, Father, that sadly that's a picture of humanity. Uh, and I just thank you, Father, that you have promised us that you will be faithful to us, uh, even in our downfalls, even in the times when we stray off the path away from you. Thank you for your faithfulness to us. So tonight, Lord, as we study this last lesson of the Old Testament, we thank you for the message that it gives us, and we pray your blessing upon us, Lord. We ask that you pull up beside us and that you be our instructor tonight and that you put the words in our minds and our hearts that we need to hear. There's so much information in this lesson, Lord. I pray that you will give us ears to hear and hearts to remember that which is important for you uh, to give to us. So bless us tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, tonight is the final lesson of the Old Testament. I'm going to tell you right now, I have got so much information to give you. Take some notes. Take down the important things that strike your heart that you need to remember. Uh, if you did not pick them up on the way in, there are two handouts right in the center aisle, uh, and they will be very helpful to you if you will pick them up and take them along with you. Some good information that uh, I gathered together and compiled together uh, for this lesson. So tonight, lesson number 19 is the prophets, and this is part two of the prophets leading us to the end of the Old Testament. Uh, the general heading of this particular section of our study is the kingdoms and the prophets. Uh, and then this is lesson number 19 with uh, the prophets concluding the Old Testament. Tonight we're coming to uh, lesson 19, studying uh, in these past two lessons, tonight and last week, 18 and 19, studied some of the least known and least studied history of the Bible. Uh, so many believers in the Lord Jesus and students of the Bible don't have a really good grasp of the united monarchy uh, where Saul and David and Solomon were kings there. But then with Solomon's sin, it divided into uh, a divided monarchy, a divided kingdom. And so as we studied through that, thank you for sticking with me, uh, and you will learn more and more as we go through. Even tonight, we're going to be talking about that. And you may not tonight understand or remember every single point, uh, but we're getting a good flow of the history of the Bible, and that's important for the biblical student, that we understand how the Bible is put together and how it flows. I would say that many, maybe even most believers don't have a really good, firm understanding of how the Bible is put together and how the complete flow of history takes place through the biblical word. So tonight, you're going to learn some things, and uh, I'm grateful I have learned some things and want to pass them on to you. We can 
continuing the study of the prophets of Israel. Uh, At the end of the Old Testament period, uh, these are the people who spoke to the nation of Israel, and it's two sections, Judah and Israel, Judah the southern kingdom, Israel the northern kingdom, the divided kingdom. And the prophets are sent by God to speak to the people of God. And when the prophets spoke, it was indeed the very word of God. God literally used the mouth of the prophet to give his word to the people of God. The prophet of God carried the very authority of God as he spoke. When the prophet spoke, God was speaking. Uh, That's important for you to know about the prophets. Now, many Old Testament prophets spoke about the coming of Jesus, the coming of the Messiah. Uh, The the Messiah is prophesied throughout the Old Testament. Now, the first sheet that I want to just point to uh, is this sheet that says uh, a selection of Old Testament verses that prophesy the coming of the Savior. And there's about 15 or so prophecies scattered Uh, through the prophets and a few of the Psalms about Jesus' life. But if you really want to dig deeply, Google this. Google 351 prophecies of Jesus. It's on the bottom of that page, and you will find all of those prophecies about Jesus in your Old Testament. So you can study to your heart's content, but this sheet of prophecies just gives you the bare minimum of some of the prophecies of Jesus that you find in the Old Testament. Now, not all of the prophets of God, listen to this, not all of the prophets of God spoke just to Judah and Israel. Here's one example. The Old Testament minor prophet Obadiah. Uh, There's only one chapter in this little short book of the Old Testament, the minor prophet Obadiah. Uh, I don't know how many of you have been to Obadiah for some pleasure reading recently, But if you haven't seen Obadiah lately, let me tell you a little bit about him. Uh, He's not preaching to the Jews at all. Obadiah is preaching God's word to the kingdom of Edom, E-D-O-M. Who did the Edomites descend from? Well, the answer to that is Esau, Jacob's brother Esau. Uh, In fact, let me read you just a word of the Bible, and you can write this reference down. Genesis 25, 30. This is what the word says, 2530, Genesis 25:30. Uh, and Esau said to Jacob, "Feed me, I pray thee, with that same red pottage, for I am faint. Therefore was his name called Edom." Now that word means red. If you remember when Esau was born, it says that his skin was red and he was hairy as a garment. I don't know what that baby looked like, but it didn't sound like a very pretty baby. But at any rate, red was Esau's color, uh, and Edom means red. So the Edomites came from, from Esau. And if you remember, even before Esau and Jacob are born, uh, the Lord gives their mother, Rebekah, a prophecy. Listen to this. Write this down. Genesis 25, verse 23. So we're backing up a little bit. Before these boys are born, God says to Rebekah, And the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels. And the one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. Now, most of the time, the elder was the one who had the lead of the family. But in this prophecy to their mama... God says that the elder is going to serve the younger rather than vice versa, the normal way of things. 
So here in the prophet Obadiah, we see the fulfillment of the prophecy that God gave about Esau and Jacob. The Edomites are going to fall to the nation of Judah. So the Israelites are going to reign over the Edomites. So what I want you to see in that little point that I'm making to you is that we see how the Bible fulfills its own prophecy. In a prophecy that God gave to the mother of these boys, we see it fulfilled in the little minor prophet of Obadiah. I think that's very interesting. Now, let me give you some excerpts from the prophets. Again, just take as many notes as you can in this. You may want to get a CD of this if you are interested to hear it again. But uh, just some excerpts that I thought are so interesting from some of these prophets that we have in the Old Testament. I'm sure you remember the minor prophet Jonah. If you remember any of the minor prophets, this is probably the one you think of the most. The prophet who ran from God because God called him to go to preach to a people, to a city that he literally hated. He hated these people, and he did not want to go to the city of Nineveh, which was a huge city. Why is that? It was a city of Assyrians. So that's the nationality of the people of Nineveh. Why did he hate them? He hated the Assyrians because these people were the ones who constantly threatened to overcome and conquer Israel. And in fact, 50 years after Jonah's prophecy to them, they did. But Jonah hated the Assyrians. He did not want to go to Nineveh. He did not want to preach God's word to them. He would rather see them expire in hail and brimstone uh, and fire and brimstone rather than to preach the word of God to them. He would rather have seen them destroyed than saved. But, of course, you know God turns... Jonah around. He flees God's call. He goes on a ship. He is sailing away from Nineveh, away from God's call. And you know that uh, through a series of events, read the little minor prophet is a great, a great book. I preached through the book of Jonah before. But as Jonah flees God's call, he is thrown overboard in the ship. A great fish swallows him. And it says in three days, that fish vomits him up on the shores of Nineveh. By the way, you remember that three-day trip in the fish is also used by God to be, by Jesus Christ to be saying, I will also be in the grave three days. So there's something symbolic as Jonah is in the fish for three days. Now, some scholars have said that Jonah was so soaked in the stomach juices of that fish for three days that when he was vomited out on the shores of Nineveh, that he was bleached and that his hair was completely gone. We have this bleached man walking around in Nineveh, completely hairless, and he's preaching God's word. Well, he commands some attention just by his very presence of what he looked like if that is actually true. He obeys God's call to preach, and what happens? These people that he hates, the people that he's run from, the people he did not want to give the word of God to, they repent. They fall on their knees from the lowliest to the highest government official. They fall on their knees in repentance and ask God's forgiveness of their sin. And the entire city, the huge city of Nineveh, grieves their sin and comes to God. But, you know, let me say this. You remember in 911 when the towers fell. Do you remember the weekend after the towers fell? Churches in America were filled. And over a course of time, they went right back to normal. 
There was the stirring of a spirit, but over a course of time, the spirit subsided and the churches went back to where they were. In the same way for Nineveh, 150 years later, they go back to where they were. Uh, After Jonah had preached, 150 years later, they're back into their old pattern of sin, to their old patterns of lostness. And so God sends another prophet whose name is Nahum, another minor prophet, to preach to to them the reality of saying, I forgave you in the day of Jonah, but in the day of Nahum, now that you're back into your sin, I just want to use this prophet to tell you, you're going to fall now. You're going to be under my judgment. Interesting the way God uses these prophets to speak to his people. So Nahum, 150 years after Jonah, says, you failed. God is going to bring judgment upon you now. Another prophet, we mentioned his name last week, the major prophet of Jeremiah. Again, let me remind you, in case you didn't hear this last week, the only difference between a major prophet and a minor prophet, four major prophets, all the minor prophets, the only difference is the length of their prophecy. Not the importance, uh, not the fact that it was any lesser of the word of God, Absolutely every word is the word of God. It was simply the length of their prophecy that makes them a major prophet versus a minor prophet. Jeremiah, a major prophet. For 40 years, he warned Judah that if they did not return to God, they would be taken as captives to Babylon. No one listened. No one returned to God. No one repented of their sin before God, and that prophecy was fulfilled as Jeremiah preached it, and they were in Babylon for 70 years. Now, While the Jews were in captivity in Babylon for that 70-year period, two prophets spoke to them, both of them major prophets, Ezekiel and Daniel. These two prophets were contemporary, speaking to the captives of Babylon, Ezekiel and Daniel. In, In looking at those prophets, first, Ezekiel's message is the word of God that is balanced against false prophets that were preaching also uh, in Babylon. And false prophets were telling uh, the Jews who were captives there that God's blessing and God's freedom was going to come to them very, very soon. For whatever reason, maybe they preached that great message that you're going to be freed from captivity just any day, and then they passed a collection plate and the money came in. I don't know. But for some reason, they preached a positive message, but it was not God's message. Balanced over against their positive messages that you're going to be freed any day was the truth of the message uh, that Ezekiel said while he was also inside of Babylon. No, no, here's God's real word. These others are false prophets. That, That good news that they're proclaiming to you is not true. Here's the real news that comes from God. We need to repent. While we're in captivity here, we need to repent of that which brought us here to captivity. We're under God's judgment. We're under God's righteousness. And so he is bringing us through this moment of punishment so that we'll get our hearts right, so that we'll fall before him in repentance. And it's going to take time, Ezekiel says. You're not going to be free tomorrow or the day after. God is going to move. God is going to forgive, but it's going to take years to get there. Now, Ezekiel is a great prophet. Uh, I I love the the opening of Ezekiel as he describes uh, the holiness of God. But he could be considered somewhat of a very unusual prophet. 
He had his own way of, of being a prophet. He actually would act out the word of God. Let me give you an example. Just write this reference down. Read it when you get home. Ezekiel chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. God told Ezekiel, I want you to shave your beard, and I want you to shave your head, and I want you to put all that hair together in a pile, and then I want you to divide it out. Uh, he, he told Ezekiel that he wanted to divide that hair into four parts. Uh, and this is symbolic of what was going to happen to Israel while they were in captivity. Before they were freed, here's what's going to happen to you. Divide that hair that you've shaved off of your head and off of your face, put it in four piles. Each pile describes what's going to happen to Israel. Pile number one, some of the Israelites are going to be struck by a knife. Pile number two, some of the Israelites are going to be burned to death. Pile number three, some would be scattered to the wind. And, of course, you know that Ezekiel is acting out each one of these piles, burning a pile, putting a knife to the pile, scattering one pile of that hair to the wind. And then, fourthly, the fourth pile of hair, it says, a remnant of Israel will be spared. And a remnant of Israel, one-fourth of Israel, will be freed to go back to Jerusalem and back to the homeland of Judah. But three-quarters will not. That's the truth of God. That's what God wants you to know. Don't listen to the false prophets saying everybody's going to go home. That's not what's going to happen. One-fourth will get to go. That's the prophecy of what's going to happen to God's people in this 70 years of captivity. Well, then let's move on quickly to the second prophet of the Babylonian captivity. His name is Daniel. I love this prophet. Uh, I've had the privilege of preaching through the book of Daniel, and believe me, that is a preacher's study when you preach through the book of Daniel. Uh, he also lived, as you know, he lived through this exile period of the people of Israel in, Bab- in Babylon in exile, and he preached to the captives. Uh, I'm sure you remember chapter 1 of the prophecy of Daniel. Uh, as, as all of these captives are coming into Babylon, they don't come in all at one time. They come in in waves. They're, Babylon is taking them out of their land and bringing them into Babylon in waves under the kingship of Nebuchadnezzar. Four young men come into Babylon. Remember their names? Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So Daniel and these three young friends come into into Babylon. And because of the way they conducted themselves, if you remember, they, they refused to eat of the king's table. Uh, and I can't go into all the details. Please read Daniel. It's such a wonderful book. Uh, and especially as you want to read uh, about these four young men and how they made an impression on the king. Uh, but they impressed the king so much that he gave them royal positions. Listen to the position that he gave to Daniel. Here is his promotion. Just write this reference down. Daniel chapter 2, verses 46 through 49. Daniel chapter 2, verses 46 through 49. Here's how King Nebuchadnezzar was impressed with Daniel. Then, Then the king Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and worshiped Daniel. This is because Daniel was an interpreter of dreams. 
and he interpreted a, a dream of Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebuchadnezzar knew that it was absolutely of and from God. So, King Nebuchadnezzar falls on his face. He worships Daniel, commanded that they should offer an oblation and sweet odors unto him. And the king answered unto Daniel and said, Of a truth it is that your God is a God of gods and a Lord of kings and a revealer of secrets, seeing thou couldst reveal this secret. Then the king made Daniel a great man and gave him many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief of the governors over all the wise men of Babylon. Then Daniel requested of the king, and he set Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon, but Daniel sat in the gate of the king. So all four of these young men had a great government position as they came as captives out of out of uh, Israel, they were so impressive that Daniel especially got this huge promotion to serve right underneath of the king. Well, I think you remember this. As time goes on, Nebuchadnezzar calls the nation of Babylon to worship him. And if you remember uh, the, the story of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar builds a statue unto himself uh, and in the plain of Shinar and commands his nation to bow down to it and to worship the statue, which in essence is worshiping him. The statue was 90 feet tall, so three times the height of this ceiling. Uh, and probably because it was gold, when the sun hit it, everybody in the nation could see it uh, sitting in that plain. But, but Nebuchadnezzar says, when you're called, there was actually a holy band that played. He said, when you hear the music, fall on your knees, worship the, worship the statue. All of Babylon worshiped the statue except three men. Now, Daniel is not in chapter 3. Maybe he's out on business somewhere, but he's not mentioned in chapter 3 of Daniel. But in chapter 3 of Daniel, all of Babylon worships the statue except three. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they refuse. Uh, I, loved, I, I still remember the sermon that I preached here about these guys. And I remember when they said, we're going to throw you in the fiery furnace. They said, you can go on and throw us in the fiery furnace. God will take care of us. Either we're going to walk out of that furnace. But let me tell you this. If you're digging out our ashes, the only thing that we want you to remember is they would not bow down to us. They would not bow down to the Babylonians because they were going to serve their God. I love that section. You dig out my ashes, you knew we were faithful to God. I love that. So, we, of course, you know they did walk out. But I want you to read Daniel 3 devotionally. See how Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood up for the Lord, encouraged, facing the fiery furnace, going through it. As you remember, Nebuchadnezzar looks into the furnace. He doesn't see three. He sees four. And, of course, he says the fourth one looks like the Son of God. And so we know that that indeed is what we call a Christophany, an appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament. Uh, so they didn't just survive the furnace. They triumphed in victory to the power of God. Uh, and a famous moment as King Nebuchadnezzar looks into that furnace and, and sees four there. After chapter 3, by the way, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego disappear from the pages of Scripture. They're never mentioned ever again. But they go out with a bang. As they come out of that furnace, giving glory to God. Daniel, of course, 
had his trial of being faithful to God by being thrown into the lion's den. Daniel chapter 6. He comes out alive. In fact, let's look at a passage. Just write this reference down. Daniel 6, 21 through 23. Daniel chapter 6, verses 21 through 23. And I hope you will go over these passages in your own devotional time. But after he comes out of that, or after he is coming out of the lion's den, being spared of God, then said Daniel unto the king, O king, live forever. My God hath sent his angel and hath shut the lion's mouths, that they have not hurt me. For as much as before him innocency was found in me, and also before thee, O king, have I done no hurt. Then was the king exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no manner of hurt was found upon him because he believed in his God. Faith is what brought Daniel out of the lion's den. Uh, Which, by the way, I believe that at the end of this book, Nebuchadnezzar believes in God. I think Nebuchadnezzar actually does come to God, the blessing of faith in all things. Uh, By the way, here's another reference. I want you to write this down. Everybody write this one down. Daniel chapter 9, verses 20 through 27. Daniel chapter 9, verses 20 through 27. If you're going to do an intensive study of God's Word, this is a great passage to study. Sir Isaac Newton... Uh, who, of course, is connected with gravity. And he was a, he was a, a brilliant man and a, a wonderful believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Sir Isaac Newton said that Daniel chapter 9, verses 20 through 27, is the backbone of all biblical prophecy. All of the prophecy of the Old Testament is connected to the backbone of Daniel chapter 9. That's an important passage in it, isn't it? Uh, I remember making that statement in that sermon series uh, that that is such an important passage of Scripture. You need to read it as you see all biblical prophecy attached to the spine of Daniel 9. Okay, the next prophet that I'm going to give you an excerpt from is is the minor prophet Joel. He preached about a locust plague. And the interesting thing about Joel is that he preaches about a a locust plague that's going to take place in an undisclosed location. We don't know where this is. Uh, It was judgment coming from God. Uh, Write down this reference, Joel chapter 1, verse 15, and then I'm going to skip over to Joel chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Listen to these words from the minor prophet Joel. Chapter 1, verse 15 says... Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is at hand, and as a destruction from the Almighty shall it come. And so he's talking about this plague of locusts that's on its way. Now, verse, uh, chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Blow ye the trumpet in Zion, and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord cometh, for it is nigh at hand, a day of darkness and of gloominess, a day of clouds and of thick darkness as the morning spread upon the mountains. A great people and a strong, there hath not been ever the like, neither shall be any more after it, even to the years of many generations. So he's talking about this 
terrible plague that is coming to the people. Uh, you will notice he does give it some, uh, some identification of a land area in that uh, the trumpet in Zion, that's the holy land. So somewhere in that area, there's coming this plague. Uh, in the face of this devastation, though, what Joel is doing as a prophet of God is saying, here's something that's coming. Get your heart ready for it. Be ready for it. Joel chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Therefore also now, saith the Lord, turn ye even to me with all your heart and with fasting and with weeping and with mourning or grief and rend your heart, not your garments, and turn unto the Lord your God. For he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness and repenteth him of the evil. So Joel, as the prophet of God, is calling people to come back to God in the face of this devastation that is headed their way. He says, fall on your knees and repent and ask forgiveness of your sin. So he's calling the people in this moment of uh, oncoming destruction to get right with God. And when the people come back to him, here's the promise that God gives to them. Listen, because I think this is a promise that also applies to us today. When the people will come back to God, here's what will happen. Joel, write this reference down. This is an important one. This is one of the key verses of the prophet. Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 32. Joel 2, 28 through 32. Probably this is the passage you would be familiar with if you know anything about Joel. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out my spirit And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. Does that sound kind of like great tribulation language there? The last verse, verse 32. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord hath said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord will be delivered, saved, pardoned, given life. The prophet Joel with a very, very much a statement of what we are reading in the New Testament as well. A great prophecy. Okay, well, now, after the Babylonian captivity, after they're coming out of Babylon, they're freed to come back to Jerusalem. They're freed to come back into their homeland of Judah and rebuild the land. Remember, when they were taken out, the Babylonians had decimated the place. They, they had ruined Jerusalem. They had ruined the temple. So 70 years later, now they're being released to go back. There's a new king that comes in under Persia, and he allows them to go back to the Holy Land. The prophets who speak in this period, after they're released from their exile, okay, exiles, E-X-I-L-E, the prophets who speak after they're released are called post or after post-exilic prophets, meaning prophets that spoke after they were released from their exile in Babylon. 
the first of two prophets after the exile were Haggai and Zechariah. We'll look at Haggai first, but Zechariah, Haggai and Zechariah. And they give God's people the word as you are allowed to go back to Jerusalem and you're allowed to go back uh, to your homeland, you are to rebuild the land. That's what God is telling them through these two minor prophets. Go back, rebuild the land. Rebuild the temple. Rebuild Jerusalem. Now, they warn sometimes your work is going to be slowed down, and these prophets are continuing to, to tell the people, push your work forward. Don't let anyone slow you down. Don't let any word, don't let any criticism, don't let anything come against you that slows your work down in rebuilding in that period of time. So now let's move backward in the Old Testament. There are two men who lead in this rebuilding process, Ezra and Nehemiah. Now, these two books are not in the prophets. Sorry, I don't know where that came from. These two prophets, these two men were not in the prophets. These two books are right after 1 and 2 Chronicles, so they're first in the Bible before you get to the prophets. But Ezra is is the man who's in charge of rebuilding the temple, Nehemiah is the man who is in charge of building the walls back around Jerusalem and to fortify it once again. Although the books are earlier in the Old Testament, their application is really late in the Old Testament. They're not prophets. These men, you know, what we're studying right now is the section that's set aside as the prophets of God. Ezra and Nehemiah were not prophets, so they don't get in this section. Again, you have to realize that the Bible is is not put together in these 66 books. They're not chronological. Uh, They're just not. So that means you've got to know the history as to how they fit in. Ezra and Nehemiah actually are really toward the end of the Old Testament, even though they're right after Chronicles. Uh, Kind of interesting, but you have to know those little things or you're going to get all tangled up in the facts. And I think that's where a lot of biblical folks kind of get lost in where we are in the Old Testament as they read it through. Uh, Interesting how the Bible is put together as it is put within sections. Um, History is in one section, prophecy is in another. But the history of Israel overlaps the prophecy of the sections of the latter part. But you have to understand all that. Uh, And that's why we're here. That's what you're doing. Uh, And you're getting it little by little, and I am too. Okay, let's go back to the prophets briefly. The last prophet of the Old Testament is Malachi. Minor prophet Malachi. And he clearly tells God's people that they're going to be rescued and they're going to be loved by God. Now, Malachi is written about 100 years after the Babylonian captivity, after the people had gone back to their homeland and that the temple and the walls had been rebuilt And he is saying, Jews, your history is not over yet. Don't think that God is done with you. Don't think because you're living once again in the comfort of your homeland and in the city of Jerusalem and you can worship at the temple again that God is done with you. He's not put a period on the end of your story. There's more yet to come. In fact, Malachi points forward. Write this reference down. Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. And you will hear exactly what this 
verse says as we've been talking about the gospel of John on Sunday mornings. Malachi 3.1, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. Two men are prophesied in the last uh, section of the Bible, Malachi 3.1. Jesus, who's the first one? John the Baptist, the messenger who prepares the way. He's spoken of as that voice in the wilderness in Isaiah. But here we see John the Baptist in Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament. So Malachi then just simply ends the Old Testament by saying, Israel, God's not done with you. Your history is going to continue. God has a plan for you that is going to extend beyond these days. Be looking forward to God playing out his plan for you. Well, what was the plan for them to come? Well, you know the nation is going to bring forth the Savior. However, when Malachi finishes his prophecy and and biblically, we are talking about uh, the fact that Malachi is the last Old Testament book written. That is true. Chron- chronologically, Malachi is last of the Old Testament. But after Malachi puts a period on the end of his prophecy, God is silent 400 years. So for 400 years, the people of God did not hear a word from him. And we know that as the New Testament opens, in fact, do you know the first word that God speaks? He speaks to Zechariah in the temple about a baby that's going to be born whose name would be John the Baptist. That's the first word of God spoken uh, as the 400 years of silence is broken. Uh, Now, I want you to uh, do this. I want you to look at this other handout that I gave you. The front page is just a note page, but I want you to go to the second page of that. And I give you this just as a resource. For those of you who are streaming with us, if you go to our Facebook page and go to the section that uh, is uh, dealing with the teaching of uh, our Wednesday night thread through the Bible, you can download these pages. They are on our Facebook page. But I want you to notice this uh, as we close our study tonight. Here is the chronology of the Old Testament prophets. Jonah is the oldest of the prophecies written, going all the way through. Of course, Hosea is the first of the minor prophets, uh, but you'll notice where the majors fall in. The the double asterisks there are the major prophets, single are the uh, the minor prophets. But that gives you the chronology of when these prophecies were written, how they really fit together uh, in our Old Testament. Uh, You'll also see uh, the central teaching of the prophecy and the key verse of every one of those prophecies. I hope that's a helpful little document for you as you kind of wrap your mind around this part of the Bible that can be confusing, but if you get it in chronological order, uh, it helps a whole lot, and you understand the key of what every one of these prophets is talking about. So I hope that helps you some. At the bottom of that page is just how it's sequenced in your Bible, beginning with Isaiah, ending with Malachi, how it's sequenced in uh, the, the lineup of your Old Testament in your Bible. So, that's our study of the prophets. Uh, I know, again, those were just hitting some of the high spots, giving you some of the excerpts, but I hope that you can see 
how the Old Testament is kind of put together, sectioned into its, uh, its, its history and into its prophecy uh, and how God brings about creation. Remember, Genesis is a creation account of two things, the creation of the world and the creation of the people of God. If you don't understand that, you're going to get lost as you begin the Bible. So when you understand that Genesis is the creation of, account of two things, the world and Israel, then you're going to start to get it, and it's all going to start to fit together and make sense. Hope that helps you. Uh, just the high points, just a few excerpts, but the, uh, the Bible is an amazing love letter from God. As I end this study tonight, let me say this to you. Uh, here, here's what I see in the Old Testament. Uh, and it's really a picture of today. Uh, it's a picture of our world today. But if you look at Israel, the chosen people of God, you know, if, if you lived your life saying, we, this family, this nation of people is the people created by, chosen by, used by God, we're going to be faithful to him. Wouldn't you think that would be kind of the mantra of, the whole, of their whole lives? But that's not what the Bible teaches us about Israel at all. God's chosen people, they had so many ups and downs of faith, so many ups and downs of the actions of uh, the way they conducted themselves. They, be, they fell into great, great wickedness from time to time. And so here's the pattern. If you look at the Old Testament and you begin to understand the lives of the Israelites, here's the pattern. They succeed under God's blessing. Then they walk away and they fail. Then they're punished by God. Then they repent. Then they are blessed, then they succeed, and then the pattern repeats itself. And you know what? The pattern exists today. It's a people pattern. It's a sinner's pattern. And only by falling on our knees before our holy God can we break the pattern and say, Lord Jesus, I accept you as my Savior. I want to follow you in all things. But Israel shows us the pattern of people uh, succeed, they fail, they're punished, they repent, they're blessed, and then it repeats. Uh, and it's over and over in the Old Testament word. And yet, here's, here's, here's the main point. God always remained faithful to them. They, they failed, they sinned, they fell into wickedness, they walked away, they were forgiven, they came back, they repeated, and God stayed with them every step of the way. Primarily, you can look at their traveling in the wilderness. You know, they were, they were under punishment, traveling in the wilderness because of their faithlessness to God, but he never left them. He always fed them. He always clothed them. Uh, you remember their clothing never got old. Their shoes never had to be changed. Somehow the baby shoes just grew with them. I, I can't explain that, but it's what the Bible says, so I believe it. But God never left them, and God always provided for them. Still true today. In our ups and downs and our victories and our failures, God never leaves us, and God never fails us. Praise God for his faithfulness to us. Next week, we will start the New Testament. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for these few moments of, of teaching in your word, Lord. And I know uh, I, I went fast, and I know that I had a lot of information, Lord, of just the high points of some of these prophets and what they, what they preached and the reasons that they preached and the words that they brought. Sometimes there were words of love and promise, and God has a plan, and you keep walking in him. Sometimes they were words 
of judgment and words of God's righteousness and punishment is coming and get your heart right before God and repent and be sorry for your sin. So, Lord, I pray tonight that we will learn from the Old Testament prophets. Yes, this is ancient history, but, Lord, if we read it with the right mind and the right heart, it applies so much to modern history, and it speaks to us today. God's Word is living. God's Word is true. God's Word never changes, and God's Word addresses us in this very day. Every word of it has something to teach us. So bless us, we pray, Father, as we continue to be students of your word and as we learn together. We love you, we thank you, and we thank you, Lord, for your love and your faithfulness to us and your faithfulness to give us forgiveness through the cross, through the empty tomb. Thank you, Lord. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.